like to begin this morning by first thanking Pastor John for giving me the one passage on fornication. It's really fun to talk about. Thankfully, I have a couple of years, I think, until I need to know how to explain the birds and the bees to my little girls. I mean, don't get me wrong, I know how it works. It's just that I, um, never mind, let's just get started. <laughs> it's just not, not going to go there yet. Well, friends, we're in the middle of a sermon series entitled Hoping for the Future as we study 1 Thessalonians. Now, you have to remember, any time that you read a New Testament letter, you're essentially reading someone else's mail. These were real people dealing with specific issues. And halfway through the letter, Paul brings up sex a subject that would have quickly caught the attention of this young church. Obviously, Paul is not afraid to talk about the difficult issues. Like, what does God have to say about sex? I suppose the topic that interests a lot of people. Many of you know that I'm originally from California, and as a teenager, I attended a Saddleback Church with my family. Saddleback is a large church in Southern California, pastored by Rick Warren, the author of Purpose Driven Life. And as a high schooler, my youth group was well over a thousand students. But whenever our youth pastor preached on sex, which he did every four years, <laughs> all right. <laughs> You know why? But whenever he preached on sex, attendance nearly doubled. Kids who had never been to church before came because they honestly wanted to know, what does God have to say about sex? What does the Bible have to say about sex? I remember walking in, and it was a standing room only kind of situation with high school students. Paul brings up fornication because it's a real-life issue, isn't it? New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says the word fornication is actually often associated with the prostitution of pagan temples, but it also includes any kind of sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. Interestingly, Pagan temples regularly doubled as brothels. Greco-Roman society encouraged sexual practices of all kinds, bizarre stuff. It was a part of Greek life. And remember in the book of Acts that most of the converts in Thessalonica were Greek. So, for the Christians reading Paul's letter, fornication used to be a big part of their life. It was built into their religion. It was built into their social life. 
And we begin to understand that fornication often wasn't just about dysfunctional sexual behavior, but getting caught up in a lifestyle that will pull you away from Jesus Christ and right back into the pagan temple where you were before. It becomes idolatry. And Paul, as we read in Acts, essentially came to town, preached the gospel to them, and taught them about the way of a Christian life. I imagine Paul said something along the lines of, you know, cheating on your spouse is a bad idea. If you keep visiting the temple prostitutes, you're going to destroy your family and your faith. Rather, be faithful, honest, loving, kind. Walk in newness of life with Jesus Christ. We see in verse 1 that the Thessalonians had changed. They're following Jesus, and what does Paul says? Paul says, keep going. Do so more and more. And he emphasizes self-control and having a healthy and holy sexuality. Paul wants them to avoid destructive sexual practices because Paul understands that only humans can take a good gift like sex and warp it and distort it into something dangerous and destructive. Today we live in a time and place where having any kind of sexual ethic or conviction is considered stifling or even offensive. And our scripture this morning is one of those passages that people have long rolled their eyes at. Here we go again. Paul's talking about fornication until the scientific community came along and said, well, you know what? Actually, it seems like it is healthier to have one sexual partner. And then the psychologists came along and said, you know, as we're studying these relationships, we're discovering that it actually kind of is better to just stay with one person And we've been hearing neuroscientists tell us for the last several years that pornography actually alters your brain chemistry. Very addictive for men and women. I heard a professor once say that pornography is the new crack cocaine today. It's that addictive. absolutely can destroy and devastate your relationships. The truth is, your addiction, either sexual or chemical, can easily become your God. That which you love and obey, that which has mastered you. But we're built, we were made to love to worship, to serve only one God. And that is Paul's warning here. That's his 
encouragement. Live a life pleasing to God, he says in verse 1. Now, when Paul talks about pleasing God, live a life that pleases God, he's not suggesting that you somehow have to earn God's favor for your life. God is not a moralistic referee. God is not the legalistic and angry judge looking to condemn your past mistakes. No, God is a father, a loving parent who looks at your life and wants you to flourish and thrive. In Romans, Paul says we are God's children and co-heirs with Christ. In 1 John 3, we read what love God the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Friends, God loves you more than words can describe. If you're a parent, you have some kind of Minimal glimpse of an understanding of what it is I'm talking about. God loves you. And because of that love, he wants what's best for you. And as a loving parent, of course, God would be pleased when you choose life over death. When you choose Freedom over bondage. When you choose healing over sickness. So when we read about purity and sanctification in our text, Paul's talking about becoming fully and clearly who you were built to become. An image bearer of God reflecting the faithfulness and the goodness of God in this world. Paul might not directly talk about hope in our text this morning, but behind his words is the firsthand experience that transformation is possible. Paul had experienced it in his own life. It is possible. Mark was an up-and-coming therapist with a thriving practice, a wife and some young kids. He was highly involved in his local church, serving as an elder and even preaching from time to time. Some people say he was a better preacher than the pastor, People looked up to Mark. They respected him. But he had a secret. He came home from work one day to find a group of people surrounding his wife who is in tears. This was Mark's intervention. He had been engaged in numerous sexual relationships with many women, including at the workplace. Some of his fellow therapists were at his intervention. He had been caught. What started as a 
addiction to pornography in his younger years had turned into a secret life of adultery. Debbie, Mark's wife, somehow, by the grace and power of God, forgave Mark, worked with Mark. He sought treatment. He got counseling. They slowly rebuilt their marriage together over a number of years. And then Mark started helping other men who had these issues. He began researching and writing on addiction, and soon Mark and Debbie started Faithful and True Ministries, one of the most influential organizations caring for and treating couples and individuals who struggle with the sin of sexual addiction. You can read many of Mark's books, including Healing the Wounds of Sexual Addiction. He was actually one of my professors at Fuller. Transformation is not easy. But Mark would say that he and Debbie love each other more today than they ever have. And they have impacted thousands and thousands of lives and families for the good, bringing hope to couples and people who thought there was no hope. My marriage is over. It's devastated. We can't fix this. Faithful and True Ministries is a powerful, powerful resource. Mark's life was transformed. And friends, if you feel like there is no hope or no way out of whatever sin or addiction or hurtful pattern you're caught up in, if you don't think there's a way out, that is a lie. There is always hope. Or maybe for you it's despair or anxiety or anger. What keeps you from God? What is keeping you from living your life to the fullest? Scripture, friends, is full of stories, of people who encountered God, whose lives were changed. This church is filled with stories of people who have encountered God, whose lives have been transformed. We have hope for what God is doing in the future because of what God is insisting on doing right here and now in the present that's why Paul reminds us in verse 8 that God has given us the Holy Spirit. We are not alone. God's Spirit is present, is moving, is active. And we see it. We see God's Spirit whenever there's healing, which Kristen talked about. That's the Spirit of God. We see the Spirit of God whenever someone chooses the hard road of recovery over addiction. That's the Spirit of God. 
We see it whenever a teenager realizes that you are loved and gifted, perhaps because you told them it. That's the Spirit of God. Anytime two people make peace, whenever peace is made at home, that is the Spirit of God. God's Spirit at times may be subtle. But God's spirit is powerful. Anytime you talk about sex in church, it can be a, a wide range of emotions in the room. Shame, misunderstanding, fear, judgment, pain, anger. but those aren't from God. You might have picked up those feelings over the years at church or from other Christians or maybe even from a pastor, but those feelings are not from God. God wants you to understand the depths of his grace and his love for you. That's Paul's prayer throughout the New Testament. Anytime he writes a letter, he always prays this same prayer. I hope and pray that you will come to understand the depths and the magnitude of God's love for you. And because God loves you, like a loving parent, God wants to heal your wounds. Forgive you. And set you free. Set you free from whatever it is that might be keeping you from him. Might be keeping you from the life that God has for you. God loves you. And that, friends, is something that we can always place our hope in. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.